First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14 says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Idolatry is placing things above the Lord Jesus Christ. We all have idols in our lives. Anything that is more important than him is an idol. And, and I'm not talking to, you know, I mean, we always go, gosh, I really love my kids. Okay, we love our kids. But do our kids rule our lives? You know, uh, do, does our does our money rule our lives? Does uh, yeah, well, kids do rule our lives. I know. I said that. <laughs> so cast out the idols. Let's take the let's pray and go home. No, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. The church in Corinth, they were coming to Jesus, and they were in an environment that was extremely uh, pagan. Uh, there were idols everywhere. Meat that they loved to eat was sacrificed to this, to the idols, and the only place they could really buy it was after it had been offered to these idols, it was sold in the, the excess was sold in the marketplace. And so they would be going and, and buying this meat, which was fine. Paul said, listen, meat is nothing. Don't worry about that. Go buy that. But what happened is they started going into the temples into these foreign gods' temples and eating at the McDonald's in there. And the only thing is that this, this table that was set up in there, this place where they ate, ate was associated with the worship of this God. Paul is teaching this church that they have incredible freedom in Christ. When we've come to Christ, we have incredible freedom. We love it. But our freedom ends when someone else's stumbling begins. And Paul lays out, and he says, and I'm not just telling you this, I'm I actually live it. He says, I'm an apostle. I have all these rights. I have a right to a paycheck from preaching the gospel. I have a right to get married. I have a right to all these things, but I've chosen not to do that. Paul was able and willing and, and called, actually commanded by the Lord to be able to do all those things, but he chose to lay down his rights so that no one, when he's going into those cities and these, these pagan cultures could say, oh, you're doing it for the money or you're doing it for this or you're doing it for that, that his motive was just pure in preaching the gospel. Praise the Lord. And he's trying to say, you have the right and freedom to do all these things, but is it beneficial when a non-believer is looking on or a believer, brother and sister is looking on at your life, that you're in, engaging these things that they might associate with pagan worship? And so Paul is kind of drawing some lines and teaching them about how to walk in liberty, how to walk in freedom. And the law is the law of love. Does this benefit me in my walk with Jesus Christ? Does it, is it glorify God? Does it make us uh, closer or further apart, so to speak? Does it break fellowship with him? Does it grieve my spirit? And then you take that and you also apply it to someone else. Is this going to make them stumble in their walk with the Lord, no matter if I have the right to do it or not? We spoke about that. That's what, what's missing in our country. We had a, a love for the Lord, a love for his word, a love for one another, a general goodwill towards one another. Obviously, we know we still have that in, to some degree, but in general, that was the Christian philosophy throughout our land. Do what's best for someone else. Boy, that's been turned, because if it's all about my rights and what I can do, and don't you offend me, instead of laying down our rights for whatever is best for another person. So Paul's teaching this church how to walk in love in the context of an idolatrous society. And so he's saying, you have the right to eat meat, but if they say it's sacrificed to idols, don't, don't eat it for conscience sake, and we're going to get into all this. But he also says, don't go into that temple and eat 
from that McDonald's because the people who are looking at you are, are going to see that that is associated with the worship of another God, and we don't want to do that. You, how can you eat from the Lord's table, our communion? How can we eat from that table and then go eat with the tape from the table of demons? And he's gonna, that's kind of where we're picking up. And so there are things in our lives that we are free to do in the Lord. But is it really beneficial is the question. Does it glorify God? Is it going to build someone else? Is it going to allow for witness to happen? Or is it going to stumble people to where they won't listen to us, to where they won't hear us, to where they look and they see a contradiction, even though it may not be true? So we have to lay down our rights, even though they're there, for the, better, for the, further of the, the furtherment of the gospel. And that's hard. That's the cross. It really is. Because I might like to go watch that movie, or I might like to go eat at that bar, or I might like to do, I'm just laying things out, not a law. But if a brother, brother and sister sees me doing that, and it's sin to them, what, what happens in their heart, you see? And so we willingly lay down those things for the love and the betterment of someone else. So, picking up in 15, goes, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. And he just given a bunch of examples about a church, uh, about the, uh, the Israel's when they had been freed from Egypt, they were in the wilderness for 40 years and they had a lot of problems and God brought judgment upon them because they were complaining and murmuring. They were, they were complaining about food that they wanted and they didn't have. They were complaining about their, their leaders. There was sexual morality going on. There was a bunch of stuff going on. The same stuff that was going on in the church of Corinth, believe it or not. So he's taking all these lessons from Israel's history and going, see, the same stuff's going on be careful that you don't get disqualified. Be careful that you don't live in such a way to where you're not going to have God's best for you, that you're not going to be a witness, that you're not going to get the prize. Run in such a way. Cut out all those other things in your life. Be single-focused on the gospel is what he's telling this church. Lay down your rights and focus on the kingdom. And he picks up, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from my idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say is... Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? When we take the cup, we are participating in the blood of Christ. We are identifying with the blood of Christ. And the idea is that when we eat food together as, well, let's just say the Mediterranean or the Middle Eastern idea is that you have food all together on one table. And uh, if I eat some of it, and uh, it's, it's a, there's like a common soup bowl and a common bread bowl. And if I break off a piece of bread and you're breaking off the piece of bread, the same piece of bread that sustains you stains me. And we're kind of united. We're participating together. Well, Jesus takes those pictures of the bread as, as pictures of himself. He says, so when you take the bread, it's as if you're eating my body and it's not literally eating his body, but you're participating spiritually with him. You have identified with him. You've identified with the cross, the blood, forgiveness of sins. You're identifying through that act, through the act of communion, that you are his, that you have faith in Jesus Christ, that what he says goes, that he is Lord, all those things. And so he's saying, is not the cup of thanksgiving, which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break, participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. There's communion with the Lord and with each other when we have communion together. Community, we're together. It unites us. It's a distinctive of the Christian faith. Communion, 
Jesus said, do two things, basically. Be baptized, and what? As often as you do this, communion, remember me. So those are two main ordinances he calls us to follow. And so he goes on. He says, consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate at the altar? What is he saying? He's saying, look at the worship that was going on in the Old Testament temple. People would bring their offerings. They would offer sacrifices. It would be killed. Uh, Part of it would be offered as a burnt offering to the Lord, and the other part would be given to the priests. And so they would eat of a sacrifice, a spiritual thing. There's a spiritual connection going on with those sacrifices. And so he's drawing the connection from that to the pagan temple. Same things going on. That's why you can't go eat that meat, is what he's talking about. There's a worship thing going on here. He goes on, Consider the people of Israel. Do not, uh, uh, do not those who eat the sacrifice participate in the altar. Do I mean that the food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? The food is food. The idol is just a piece of wood or a piece of gold shaped by men. The Bible talks about that over and over. These people thought that the the, the actual idol was a god, and they were sacrificing to it. And the truth was, Paul's saying, that is just a piece of wood. That is man-made. God is not man-made. That uh, meat that was offered, there's nothing wrong with it. It's meat. And he goes on. No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not God. And I do not want you to participate with demons, participants with demons. This is a very hard verse because Paul draws draws a line between true worship and false worship. The only way to worship God is through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. All other worship all other idols, all other things are demonic. I'm not saying that there aren't good people. I'm not saying that there aren't well-intended people, but the things behind those systems, the things behind those idols are demonic. And demonic seeks to take glory away from God and bring it to some other god, a false god. And Paul's saying, if you participate in that, just like it's just as if you're participating, participating at the Lord's table. I don't want you to participate with demons. Stay away from that. So what's the modern day application? We have a very blasé view of Christianity. Oh, they say they're Christian. It's cool. Really. Be careful. Be careful. Just because they have the word Christ in their name doesn't necessarily mean that they follow Jesus Christ. Amen? We think that all roads lead to heaven. All roads do not lead to heaven. There is one way through Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son. It's a narrow gate. How many of you already feel uncomfortable about what I'm sharing? Totally. The spirit of the age says you are narrow-minded, you are uninclusive. You're not including everybody. You're not making it, what about all the good people? I've already worked through so much of this on my heart. God makes it. By the way, I just want you to know, this is not an American, an American book. Did you know that? 
this is a 2,000-year-old, pretty much Jewish book. We follow a a Jewish guy that was crucified 2,000 years ago. This is universal truth to all nations. And notice where Jesus was even, I, I just, just thinking in my head, Jesus was strategically born in Israel. Israel's where three continents connect, the three major continents connect, where the Roman roads were made, where, where Alexander the Great, two, 200 years before him, came through, or 300 years before him, came through and conquered the known land and made uh, the, the Greek, the common language of the world, and the Romans came in and made the roads, and then Jesus shows up, and all of a sudden, boom, the gospel goes like wildfire all over the world. Strategic, God is strategic, he is amazing. You think between the Old Testament and the New Testament, nothing was going on, God was at work. I don't even know why I got off on that, but I like it. That's extra credit, I guess. But I don't want you to participate. You know, sometimes we think, at least I get caught up. I, I, I'm free in Christ, and so I can, I can do what I want. And so I start to, and then I actually am, it's like I, I've lost holiness. You know what I mean? There's, there's not a fear. There's not a reverence of the Lord and his purity and his fire and, and the glory he has. And so I'll start to participate in things that are, eh, you know, who cares? But I'm sacrificing in my heart. I'm, I'm, I'm engaging. I'm walking around the enemy's temples. I'm, 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 I'm enjoying the food. I'm enjoying the entertainment. I'm enjoying whatever. The things that are anti-Christ, I start to entertain my mind with. Anyone else? And I think Paul's calling this church, hey, just because you have freedom, it's not freedom to go back into the slavery you were freed from. Be careful. Look at your witness. Sometimes we think we have to embrace other people's philosophy wholeheartedly in order to reach them to Jesus Christ. I will be all things to all people. That's not what Paul's talking about. Jesus did not em- embrace in prostitution, but hung out with prostitutes. Amen? So there's holiness, there's a separation. And I think Paul's speaking to a church that has blurred lines. Doesn't really get that, has lost it. Don't participate in those temples because you're participating actually with demons. Demons are fallen angels, they're real. People go, oh, what's that? We wonder, you ever, as a Christian, just get into a super bad mood for no reason? Or there's just an agitation in your spirit, or you'd wonder why something's just not coming together and there's a fuzziness to it. Many times that's demonic. You know, I always make sure I have to eat before that, you know, to clarify. <laughs> Sometimes I just get, well, you know, need to have a hamburger or something. But the enemy's at work. You ever find it interesting when. In, in, let's just say in, in our church, God starts to do something amazing and we see it and we all see it and then all of a sudden there's some kind of division within the church. There's a disagreement. People don't get along. Things don't get settled and then there's... And all the attention of the leadership and all the attention of the church and all the talk of the church goes off of what God is doing and onto the problem. You ever notice that? And, and, and we don't want to be, you know, uh, you know we want to be long-suffering and patient and kind and make sure we're on the Lord. And, and we just 
sometimes lack the discernment, this is the enemy working, and this is demonic, and you know what? Call it for what it is. Let's get a prayer meeting together, and let's go kick them in the teeth. You know what I'm saying? Back on track. Acts. As we're going through the book of Acts, what do we see? We see the gospel going forward, and we see something messed up in the church. And right? What happens? Ananias and Sapphira, what did they do? They said, oh, hey, we've got, uh, we, we're, we're, giving, we're giving a lot of money. And they're saying they're giving more than they really had and all that stuff, and they ended up dropping dead. It broke the fellowship. There were lies going on in the church. There wasn't a truth. There wasn't a, a pure spirit going on. And, and, and the, the, it, it quenched what the spirit was doing. God came in, corrected it. They got back on track. And then they're out there preaching the gospel, and they get persecuted from the Jewish leadership. Where do you think all that came from? Do you think that just comes up naturally? Partly, but the enemy is behind the scenes manipulating and moving things. And same thing within my life. You ever notice when you want to go do something spiritual, what happens? But you want to watch your favorite TV show and you will part the Red Sea, my friend. Will you not? Amen. Me too, you know? But open your Bible and it's like, we start reading one verse and it's like, I praise you for remembering, oh, I just need to take a nap. Or, you know what, gosh, I really just want to do yard work right now. I don't know what it is. (laughs) Must be the Lord. (laughs) Spiritual things. The enemy comes in and gets us right now. How many of you would just want me to be done? (laughs) Yeah. Now, part of that's me. I know that. But I'm just going to put it on the devil today. He's a bad guy. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? There's warfare going on. I don't want you to be anywhere near all that stuff, Paul's saying. I want you to be close to the Lord. Don't even mess with the things that are evil. Don't even give an appearance. Just walk away from it. It's okay. You have the freedom to walk away. Walk away. Amen? And let the Spirit work those things out in your life. And these people obviously weren't seeing those things going on, and so they needed some correction. Paul jumps in. You can't participate both in the Lord's table. Are we trying to arouse, I'm sorry, in the, in the table of demons? Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy, verse 22? Are we stronger than he? Don't do that. Verse 23, I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I mean, it doesn't bring everybody together. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. It's a free country. I can do whatever I want. That's kind of the spirit they had. No one should seek, and here's the principle, ready? No one should seek, seek their own good, but the good of others. That's, that is the, the heart of what Paul is talking about. Seek the good of others in whatever you do. So, you ever had to make a decision? A decision you don't know what to do, where to go, what to... Paul's laying out some principles here. This is great decision-making material. One, does it glorify God? Does it grieve God's heart? That's one thing. Number two, if you you don't know that, start to go, is this going to bring me closer to the Lord or further away from the Lord? With my time, with my money, with my resources, with who I am. Is this going to bring me closer to the people that I need to be ministering to or further away? 
Is this in line with God's plan of my life? Is this going to benefit my wife, my kids, my family in their relationship with the Lord and, and good things? So making decisions, you know? It, there are good things, total good things, but then there's great things. God wants you to have the best. And so that's some real practical advice Paul is laying out here. And so he goes on, so what do I do with all this? How, how does this work out with, with eating food? Because uh, we all got to eat. He says, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Just don't ask questions. Go buy the meat and go home. If you're looking for trouble, you're going to find it. Don't go quiz the meat market guy and what was this sacrifice to Zeus? Was it not sacrificed to Zeus? And, you know, when was that? When did that happen? What altar was it? Just go buy the meat, go home and eat and be glad because it was God's cow to begin with. Amen? <laughs> Stop causing trouble. Don't look for it. Just be thankful and eat. Now, he goes on. Here's another practical. Well, what if someone invites me over to dinner who, who's you know, an unbeliever? If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever's put before you without raising questions of conscience. What an awesome thing. We eat, we're to eat with non-believers. Can you believe that? Anybody have family members that are not saved? Sorry I got saved, can't eat with you anymore. <laughs> what, a, what a light, you know? Oh my gosh. No, we're to be salt and light in the living room, in people's homes, at Thanksgiving. Eat what's set before you. And he says, but if someone says to you, hey, this has been offered to an idol, just want to let you know, as you're all about to eat, right? It says, then do not eat it for both the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. Like, what are you talking about conscience? He clarifies in his scroll writing here. He couldn't backspace, so. Verse 29, I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in a meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? Uh, Don't just eat it because you're hungry and you say thanks and therefore you're justified in doing it. Be aware that you, if the other person says it's it's sacrificed to an idol, what's more important? You eating something just because you said thanks and it's good and God, God, we know that it's all good and it came from God and so I'm just going to eat it anyways? No, the more important thing is that other person's heart. Don't ruin your witness. Because when they look at that and they say, hey, it's been sacrificed to an idol, and you go ahead and do it, they're thinking, well, they're participating in this. Or that they, have, as a Christian, have now compromised in their faith. You see what's more important. And you're all, you might offend. Yes, you might offend. But it's better to offend someone in this regard to where you clarify that, no, I'm, I'm devoted to the Lord. This is holy. For their conscience sake, you know that the meat's fine. It doesn't make a difference. And so that's what he's talking to them. Put the other person's heart, put the other person above your, what you want, your rights, okay? Kind of confusing, but we're moving on. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, and here's the big principle again. So star verse 31, 32 So whatever you do and eat or drink or whatever you do, notice this, underline it, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it to make God happy. Do it so that you make him shine. Amen? That's a principle. That's something to live by. That's a life verse. That's something the Lord has to do in our hearts. Amen? Uh, 
So don't cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to do, uh, please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Now, really quickly, Paul's not saying compromise in things that are moral. Paul's not saying just abandon your Christianity so you can win some. Go do some missionary dating. You know what I'm saying? He's not talking about that. He's saying in the matters of food and drink and social interaction, try to live in such a way that you're not going to repel people from Jesus, but bring people to Jesus. Amen? Yeah. So don't stumble them. When you need to take a stand, take a stand. By the way, is the gospel not a stumbling block to people? The gospel's offensive because what it says is that every person is a sinner and they've fallen short of the glory of God. They will never in their own way make it to heaven and you have to turn and you have to repent and you have to call out to God for mercy and Jesus provided that sacrifice. So is that offensive to everybody? Yes, it is because it strikes at the core of every man, which is pride. I am self-sufficient. Don't tell me I'm not. Blah, 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 blah. It goes on and on. There's a deep cave in there that keeps going forever and ever. And that's what the Lord calls us to do, to bow and humble our hearts and repent. So that's, that's offensive, is it not? The gospel is a stumbling block. And so it's not what he's talking about, not preaching the gospel. He's saying in the way we live, live in a way that the gospel will go forward clearly. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. That's how he lives. He lives so that people may be saved. Do you live so that people may be saved? Is that how you arrange your life? Is that how you arrange your food? Is that, is that how I do that, you know? Or wherever I go, whatever I do, how I eat, where I dress, the whole thing. So that they may be saved. Boy, that's Paul's life. And then he, and he backs it up and says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I'm living like Jesus lived, Paul said, so imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow my example. That's how Jesus walked. And now, on head coverings and worship, Paul's just adding a little bit more controversy here. Um, This is a really difficult passage of Scripture because it's very controversial in in our culture. It talks about men and women in their roles and submission and all this stuff and it's like there's the spirit of the age just says you are so antiquated you're so old-fashioned you're so outdated you are when you read this stuff and you go it's just not for today and they just they just dismiss this and so we're going to talk about this and that is why i strategically placed my vacation for wednesday <laughs> so Put all questions to Gary. We'll be around. Yeah, Gary will take it. All right. (laughs) He goes, so now another difficult topic, changing gears. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. He starts by praising him. He says, I thank you for remembering me in everything. It's it's usually helpful when you're dealing with a hard subject to someone just to kind of Ease the, ease the blow. Here we go. And, and I thank you for remembering me and everything and for holding the traditions just as I passed them on to you. How many of you think of tradition as a bad word? How many of you like the tradition of breakfast? Traditions can be really good, right? 
Traditions can be awesome. Paul's talking about the teachings that were handed, basically two major traditions, and one he's going to be talking about here is, is women's, uh, the way they are in worship, and the next he'll be talking about is how they take communion. But generally, he's talking about the apostles, what the apostles uh, taught, what Jesus comma- taught and commanded them to go teach them, their traditions, the teachings, the doctrine. And he goes on. He says, that's great, but I, I, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. How many of you just want to run up and jump and leave and say, what is this? He says, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. That is a difficult teaching. That is a difficult teaching in in our day and age. What does head mean? Well, this is is a head, just in case everybody knows. It's the thing on top of your shoulders. It's the central nervous system. It's the one that directs. It's the one that guides. It's leading your body. Did you know that? Yes, we all know that. So we have our physical head, but this is used metaphorically. And so some people think, you know, hey, well, the head of a river is where it begins and where it flows from. What he's getting at here is that the head is, a, is authority. That's what we're talking about, authority. So he's saying, I want you to realize that the authority of every man is Christ. The authority of the woman is the man, and the, and, the, and the authority of Christ is God. That is a difficult teaching. And notice he put all three of those together so that you can't take one out of context. If you're going to understand this properly, I think you have to look at the context of Christ and God. Tell me about Christ and God. The Bible teaches that God is the Father, and it also teaches that God is the Son. They are co- they're equal, and yet we see that there are roles within them. We see that the Father is the one who has authority, and we see that the Son is the one who responds to that authority in submission. And that g- brings glory to the Father. And the Father delights in the Son. And so that is the heart and the very picture that Paul wants to put when he's talking about men and women. And he goes on. Because every man, and this is the context of a prayer service, okay, this is the context of a prayer service. He goes, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covers dishonors his head, dishonors Christ. Now, what in the world are we talking about? We're, we obviously entered into something very cultural, have we not? Now, I don't see many of you with head coverings this morning. You're good. You're legit. All the rest of you repent. <laughs> we just had, uh, we went to the sweets game. And as we were walking in the parking lot, we could hear the national anthem playing. And as we heard the national anthem playing, a few of us that could hear it, what do we do? We took off our hats. What was that? Respect. It was honor. It was 
saying that there is something more important than my right to have a hat on. We took it off, and, and there was something coming from our hearts just saying, we are below this. We honor this. You see what I'm saying? And what he's saying is that in the worship service, it's dishonoring in that culture for guys to be wearing hats. Take off your hats, is what he's saying to the guys. There's a reason behind this, okay? So just, just here we're going. He starts with the guys. He says, every man who prays or prophesies, notice it's the ministry of prayer and the ministry of prophecy, which is speaking for the word of God with his head covered, dishonors his head, which is Christ. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, which is her husband, the man. I believe this is talking about the context of husbands and wives in public worship. They had experienced tremendous freedom in Christ. How many of you have been to a Middle Eastern culture? Or just an Eastern culture? What do the women wear? They wear coverings. What is that a sign of? Respect and submission to the authority over them, their husbands. What would happen is temple prostitutes were identified that would come down, as we talked about, and guess what they would not be wearing? Any covering. They would be tossing their veils aside. And what they were saying was, I'm available. Look at me. No one owns me. Let's go. Now we're talking, not talking about ownership. It's a bad word, but you know what I'm saying. I, I am my own person. There's no authority in my life. I'm free. And Paul is saying in that culture, the way that you ladies, are, you're, you're in a prayer service, you're thinking you're free in Christ and you've tossed your veil, what's going on? What's going on there? And he's asking them about their hearts. Why are you doing this? I know this is years removed, but 50 or 60 years ago, probably 60 or 70 years ago, we kind of more would have understood this a little bit more in our, in our culture a little different. But he goes on. He says, for if a woman does not cover head, she might as well have her hair cut off. What in the world are you talking about, Paul? What we were just talking about, the prostitution and all that stuff. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or to have her head shaved, then she should cover her head. It was a disgrace in that culture for women to have short hair, to have their hair cut off, to not be veiled. It's a cultural thing. In our culture, is it disgraced to have your hair cut off or shaved? Who cares? It's kind of where we're at, right? I have short hair. It's like, oh gosh, I hate drying it and all that stuff. And that's what he's getting at. And he goes on, verse 7, A man not ought to cover his head since he's in the image and glory of God. But, but a woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. And now he's going to give an example from the original order of creation as to why he's talking to them about why do you cover your head, why do you not cover your head. Man ought not to cover his head since he is in the image and the glory of God. Now we know from Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, somewhere around there, that man and woman were both created in the, in the glory of God, right? That's what we're talking about. So there... There is uh, an equality in, in uh, 
in glory and in, in, in love and all those things. It, there, there is no, uh, uh, the wife is not less than the husband. The husband is not less than the wife. They are created equally. But guess what? There are roles. There are roles. Did you know that? Within the Godhead, there are roles. Did you know that? Just because Jesus is God, he doesn't mean that he usurps the Father. He is underneath the Father and submitted to his will, and he is all about fulfilling his plan. And this is what he's, Paul is driving that at. From the, from the beginning of creation, God set it in a way to where man was created first. He is the head. His wife was taken outside of him, and she was brought along as a helpmeet to help fulfill his vision, his goal, as he seeks his head, Jesus Christ, and glorifies God. Now that's when it breaks down, doesn't it? When men are overbearing and overmanly, whatever you want to call it, and start bossing people around and tell them what to do and how many know that that's many guys struggle. What we are called to do as men, happy Father's Day, is to submit our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. To die to ourselves to his will. And as we die to ourselves to his will and find out what pleases him and that is our life's goal, we are to then take that and guide our families and our wives' lives according to his will. You cannot have two leaders in a home. It doesn't work. You cannot have two heads in a a home. It does not work. You cannot have six people calling the shots. It does not work. God did not call this world to be a committee. He called men to lead the homes and to do that on their knees in prayer focused on Jesus Christ. And as I'm preaching this, I'm convicted. Anyone? I think a lot of problems with with guys is we don't know how to seek the Lord. We don't know how to submit. We don't know how to hear from them. And so we just go ahead and go, okay, whatever. And we just go in our little thing. And, and then the woman, sadly, desiring her husband to lead, desiring him to seek the Lord, desiring to take leadership, has to go to the Lord directly and say, okay, this, this guy you gave me, he's not working out too well, so what do you want? Anyone struggle with that? Christine, keep your hand down. See that submission over there? <laughs> well, we can help you about whoops. No, I'm just kidding. She's all, my hand was up in my heart. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> A man not to cover his head since he's in the image and glory of God, but the woman, she's the glory of man. What does it mean? The, the man was made in the glory of God. Man made, God made man first. There is something when you look at a man, it just is, it's part of you. When God looked at man, if, if all creation were to look at Adam, they'd go, wow, that's kind of God in the flesh. And they would see elements of the Father in Adam. Do you see that? He would take leadership and be, in, and be benevolent and good and wise and all these things and, and create and provide and protect and all these He instilled that in Adam. And then out of Adam came Eve, a wife like 
Jesus, a picture of Jesus. Notice he doesn't, the, the bride of Christ, it's not the groom of Christ. We're all a picture of the bride together, the church, because we are submitted to Jesus Christ, submitted to his will, asking him. And that's the context he's talking about. So Adam had this element of, of the father, I believe, and you're looking at him and just seeing that, that, that beautiful glory, that authority, what he's given, the grace. And, and then you see Jesus, a picture of you know, the bride or the wife, and, and, and she's submitted and, and, and just all about making his vision happen. Now, what's his vision? To go ride dirt bikes every week? Does that bring glory to the Father? It can. You can have fun if you're doing it for Jesus, you know. But I'm just saying, you know, I mean, what, what is it? And so men, fathers, we need to be on our knees seeking the Lord. What is your plan? I am submitted to you. Help me lead and guide this precious family you've entrusted with me or my wife into your kingdom and your ways. For man to, and, and, but a woman, she's the glory of man, is she not? Just the way that man is the glory. When we, I mean, just look at two young people in love. Is not a guy, or you know, just, just looking at his, his future wife or just like, man, she's, she's the glory. We know that when Adam, when Eve was taken out of Adam and brought to him, what did he say? Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woe man. You know, I mean, that's, that's what it was. He was like, you're my glory. You are awesome. I love you. And I long to make your life awesome. And I long to lead you to the one I'm submitted to. Because that's where life is. Do you see this? Somehow in our culture, we, we think equality means that, and, and this is the thing, means that our roles are the same. And we are so messed up in that. I cannot believe how messed up we are. Men are no longer men, and women have become men, and men have become women. And when that happens, we have broken, we have sinned against the order of God. Now, that's not saying that women cannot go out and work in the workplace and, and go slay dragons. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that women aren't equipped to do that. That's not at all what I'm talking about. But our culture looks down upon mothers staying at home with their kids these days. What's wrong with that? That is one of the greatest things Ever, don't you think? Raising godly kids, how tough is that? There's nothing wrong with a mother working as well. I'm not saying that. But our culture has somehow said that if a woman isn't doing what a man is, then she is not worth anything. And that is a lie. Because God said your greatest joy is going to be with your husband submitting to him as he submits to Jesus Christ. And you're going to find your fulfillment and your meaning, whether you're out in the workplace or whether you have kids in daycare, whatever the situation is. As you guys seek me and find my will, that's what I desire for you. And he goes on, it is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her head. So he's, she's taking uh, over her own head because of the angels. Now, Paul loses me here. Because of the order of creation, because God set things in specific order, 
And he says, it's because of this reason when you're praying and prophesying together, guess who's present when we are here right now? Angels. And angels, when they see things, when they see disorder, when they see God's design broken, it grieves them, I think. It, they're learning from us. It says in Ephesians chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 1, other places. So there are angels things. They, they, they learn from what we're doing. And our very lives, our very, the way we interact with one another is a testimony to the, to the whole world. If you flip over to, uh, I think, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made, no, made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Jesus Christ. It's through the church, through us, through our gathering, that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers. We are declaring something to the unseen forces in the world. Crazy stuff. And when you see a wife submitted to a husband in this way in a worship service, Paul's saying it's right, and in the, in the, in it, in it declares that to the angels. It's, it's a declaration of God's, God's present submission to his, his authority, ultimately. In verse 11, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of a man, nor is a man independent of a woman. For as a woman came from man, so also man is born of a woman, but everything comes from God. Guess what? Men are not independent from women. Just because they are called to be the leaders in the home and in the church does not mean that they are independent from women. We are intricately woven together and fully dependent upon one another. Do you know that? I cannot do what I do without my wife at all. She undergirds me, supports me, prays for me, takes care of me, clothes me, feeds me. And do you want to add anything, love? There's a lot of things. Okay. So I don't want to cut you short. I mean, those are just the things I'm thinking off the top of my head. Man, and so I am able to come and to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ and to freely do the things the Lord's called with we did uh, me to do and praise God for you women in the church who are supporting the elders through prayer and through all the things you do you do you know how supported we feel from you I mean it's just amazing and and in elders wives just specifically we often are just going back to our wives and going what do you think what do you think how will this play out we need some wisdom amen it's not just, hey, this is where we're going, boom. It's, hey, this is where we think the Lord is calling us. Hey, wise wife, the other half of me, one who's much smarter than I am and more in tune with the Lord and probably prays more than I do. Why, God, why did you put me in this position? What, where do we go? What do we do? What's it look like? What do you think? And we bounce it back forward and we get the spirit of the Lord and say, okay, that's, that's what God's doing. We move forward. But ultimately, someone has to say, this is where we're going. Amen? And that's the hard part about being a guy, because guess what? We often take our wives and the church to the mud. And they're going, okay, great. Get to submit today. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah. So, judge for yourself. 
Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? I wish Larry was here so I could bug him. I always bug him with his beard and his hair. But if that woman has long hair, is it her glory? Naturally, men have short hair and women have long hair, do they not? Throughout the history of the world, maybe in the past couple years, things have changed a little bit, but generally guys have shorter hair than women. Amen? Oh, Chip, I get to make fun of you. Okay, good. <laughs> Is it? Never mind. Just look at the nature, he says. But if that woman has long hair, is it not her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering, a natural covering. Kind of weird. If anyone, she wants to be, if anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. And so the question, how do we bring it into modern terms? Should, should I wear hair head covering to church? And the answer is yes. And we have them on order, and they're for 1995. And... <laughs> No. The question is, are you glorifying God? Are you glorifying God in your relationship, ladies, to your husband? Are you submitted to him? Is the way that you dress saying, I'm available? Is the way that you are acting in church drawing attention to yourself and away from the glory of God? Is the way that, I'm just laying this out, okay? That's why I'm getting on a plane on Wednesday, right? (laughs) Does your life reflect the way that Jesus submitted to the Father? Men, does your life reflect the way that Jesus submitted to the Father? Are we submitted to Jesus, guys? And if you're single, are you submitted to Jesus? Amen? Or are we living in such a way that we have rights and I'm just going to take authority when God has not placed you in this position of authority. That's hard. And that's a call to men to step up and start leading your families with love, me too, and to be on our knees and praying. And so ladies, I, I don't see much of this problem happening here. I'm not, but it's here. I've got to read it, right? You've got to preach it. You've got to be faithful to the word. So in your own heart, how are you doing with submitting to your husband? Because that brings glory to God. Guys, how are you doing with loving your wives like Christ loved the church? Because that brings glory to God. It makes it a whole lot easier for your wife to submit. And all the wives said, amen. (laughs) Right? There is a natural tendency within women to when they're not being led, when they're not being loved, when they're not being um, taken care of in the Lord, to take authority. That's Genesis 3.16. Guys, it is on us to love our wives and to lead them with loving, tender kindness. Amen? So that's why we get together. That's why we're stepping up on the first Wednesday of every month. Shameless plug. You know? That's why we get together and we're praying for one another and saying, Lord, help me in my marriage. Help me to love. Help me to lead my kids. Things are off here. I need help, guys. Amen? So a lot here, and please, uh, I, would, I would encourage you to listen to 
John MacArthur's study on this and Ray Stedman's study on this. Uh, those two guys are, are awesome Bible teachers and they lay it out as it is and it might get more clarity on this. So I, I would encourage you to go read their stuff. David Guzik is another one. Um, and just s- this, let this marinate in your heart because the spirit of the age is saying that it's going to be, that do the opposite. Take control, you lead, you manhandle everything, and the spirit of the age says to the guys, I'm not going to lead anything, I'm just going to, I'm taking care of, so there we go. See ya. She's taking care of everything, I'm good. Right? And we didn't even get into the transgender stuff. God wants women to be women and men to be men. He wants women to be women and men to be men. He created you for that. It's a glorious thing. He didn't make a mistake. You're awesome. Amen? It's a shame when it happens the other way. And gosh, Lord, help people in our society to see that, man, you're, you're selling yourself short when that happens. And our hearts should be breaking and praying for those people and seeking ways to reach. Amen? With love. <laughs> but... Anyways, we'll get there another day. Lord, we ask that you would please uh, just minister your spirit to us. That um, I pray that you would just throw out whatever is not of you and just have whatever is of you that has been said this morning sit deep in the souls of the women and the men in the church, Lord. We just, we desire for you to be Lord of us. We desire to embrace the roles you've get, given us and created us for and that we wouldn't do it in our flesh, but we would do it in the spirit and with great humility. Help us, Lord. Help us men to lead in, like Jesus, uh, like, uh, Jesus uh, leads us. And Lord, help the wives to uh, be a helpmeet and to help accomplish your will, will and your vision in our families. And we pray ultimately for our kids to learn that submission as they submit to the parents. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.